0: Mark chapter 1, the servant of God, I was sitting there thinking about walking up here and the first words that I may use and it hit me as We have titled this series after the whole theme that Mark wrote about Jesus and Matt is right over and over and over. Uh, Those who have uh, edited and transliterated the word into our modern vernacular, Jesus did this and Jesus did that. Paul, writing to a Roman audience, as we talked about in the background last week, did not include a genealogy, and we'll see even more today, that his whole purpose was he was presenting Jesus as the servant. That is the subject throughout the book. And I was overwhelmed sitting there thinking about this because even his hand-chosen apostles did not accept this until after his resurrection. His own people that he came to still to this day as a whole rejects the suffering servant of God. They're still looking for their Messiah. The terrible news is he's already been here. The good news is, he's already been here. But there are untold millions walking to and fro and don't know where they're going. For they look for royalty in pomp and circumstance instead of the lowly servant born in a barn, buried in a borrowed tomb. That is the servant of God. We will see throughout the Gospel of Mark today as we looked last week in the first eight verses at the beginning. He said in verse one, the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Now we pick up in verse nine. And I to tell you, y'all might as well just buckle up and get used to Mark because I promise I was going to try to preach at least... Half of the rest of the book, but we may make it through verse 13 today. Because listen, if we do not camp out on these four verses right here, 9 through 13, and we do not fully examine what this means for mankind and for eternity, then we miss the rest of the book, the other three gospels, and the incomplete good news. Of Jesus Christ so read with me in mark 1 verse 9 and it came to pass in those days and some of your Bibles uh, says it in a different way but uh, it is the same wording and it literally means that it came to pass that in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. Can you see it? Just pause for just a minute. Just pause. I don't care if you have to imagine it as being on the Hoopie or the Armaha or the Chattahoochee, I don't care where you have to picture it. I want you to picture. Now remember, John the Baptist is standing out here. Where was he? Was he in town? Was he at a swimming pool? I mean, was he in the most beautiful of areas? No, he was out in the wilderness. And he was down on the banks of the River Jordan. And here comes Jesus. The crowd had already formed because they knew there was substance. Listen to me. Just as a side note, people need truth. People want truth. We live in the most untruthful days where everybody's opinion trumps everybody else's and everybody needs to adjust to what everybody else believes and what they Present, but if we will just give the world Jesus. People are looking for hope. People are looking for reason and purpose. And listen, John the Baptist was pointing toward a coming Messiah. And then all of a sudden, he burst on the scene. And here, John the Baptist, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, sees Jesus. And Jesus came to him and I'm gonna be as honest and transparent as I know how it was years before I could wrap my head around why Jesus was baptized and I still don't fully comprehend the depth and severity of it but I want to try my best to share with you a little bit about it today it said that when he came from Nazareth of Galilee he was baptized of John in Jordan. Now, Mark doesn't go into the depth that John and other places does where John bickers with him, says, Oh, no, I must. No, he doesn't go into that. He cuts through all that. He just gives us the facts. What we need to hear about the servant. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. The Commission. I remember back in the late 70s, where in America they issued out uh, a, a request for services for a design for a Vietnam memorial. And all the greatest architect, architects of the day and people who were famous for their design threw their hat in the ring and they began to design and to compose their idea and they they drew them down out of thousands and thousands of replicas of what it would look like. And when it came right down to it, loving the design that this young lady had designed, they decided on one the Vietnam Memorial as we know it today. And what they did, they said, listen, all of you have been great patriots in wanting to be part of this, and all of you have great, wonderful designs that would bring honor to those who have served. But we have chosen one to commission. Well, I want you to understand, people still to this day or trying to present this picture and package of how life can be successful, how we can find deliverance uh, through our problems and through the solutions that the world wants to give us. But here in this text, a holy God who created the universe, who saw His creation fall, brought in the one And the only one who could do something about it. And he commissioned him for the plan of salvation. And so we see the commission of the sovereign servant today. He says in the beginning, and it came to pass. No matter how your Bible reads, it literally gives the connotation... That this time would not happen again. That it had come and the purpose for this day was achieved. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some days I'm glad are over when they're done. You know, it's easy to do the little busy work sometimes, but it's those big jobs that you know you're going to have to get into it. And it's just going to be hard, and it's going to be nasty, and it's just going to be terrible to deal with. And, And you put it off, put it off, put it off, until finally there's no way around it. Jesus didn't put it off. He starts from the very start. He said, this must be accomplished. Just like he told when they said, Jesus said, I must die. And they said, oh, no. He said, you don't understand. I must. This day has to come. There's a day that's coming for us where we're going to have to give an answer. And all these days will come to pass. You see, it was this ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of of salvation, the ministry of the Savior for this time, right there. He tells us in Galatians chapter 4, 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law in the fullness of time. Not one minute early, not one minute late. Jesus was on time. Y'all hear me, church? Jesus was on time. It was this ministry for this time. Now, hear me. The next time is going to be different. You see, the role of servant, the role of Savior is being accomplished, was accomplished there. In his action, but being accomplished, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us today. But there's coming a day where intercession will not be needed anymore. Where the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, will be reconciled unto the bride, uh, uh, to the bridegroom and will be caught up in the air. However, whenever, but that day's coming. Y'all hear me? And there's going to be a supper. Lord, I'm talking about a spread. I, I love good homecomings. I love our Thanksgiving supper that we have. I love our Christmas time. Man, I love. Uh, I, my daughter went to her nanny's this weekend. And so Becky and I was sitting there at the house Friday night, just us. And my daughter FaceTimes us. And I was able to see my daughter and my mother, two of the three most important women in my life. And mama's, hey, and they're in the kitchen doing what my mama does best. And then my daughter, to rub it in, turns the camera and just pans over the counter. They was. Fried ochre piled up that high. There's a big old thing of corn. I mean, they was fried whatever you like. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, I don't even want to talk to you. I I had something else to do. I said, I don't even want to talk to you. I was playing. Of course, Mama texted me later. She said, you're not mad at me, are you? I said, no, Mama, I'm just jealous. She said, well, I'll do it for you next time. You know what? I'll probably go home and made a sandwich today. I'm all right with that. But there's coming a the day when I'm going to sit down at the Lord's table. Y'all hear me? We're going to sit at the Lord's table, and that's going to be the greatest spread ever known. You see, when Jesus came, he came to suffer and die. But in that day, it will have come to pass that time shall be no more. I'm about to have a running fit right here. Now I'm fishing. to get old school. When you camp out on these verses and think about it. Look, Jesus is not going back to the cross. He tells us that in Hebrews. He died once for all. He said he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And that we're going to see him as he is. The one who died for me. The one who keeps us, the one we pray through, Jesus, our Savior. Crown him with many crowns. Next time it's going to be different. It said that, and it came to pass, and look what he says in this next verse, next part of this verse. It says, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, some commentators believe it's just background. I don't believe anything is just background. I believe everything has a purpose in God's Word. I believe in plenary verbal inspiration. I believe that God spoke every single one of these words. It is inspired and infallible, and I believe we have all we're going to get Revelation is closed. Inspiration is closed. Now it's our job through Sunday morning, through experiencing God, through Sunday school, through youth groups, through D-NOW, through summer camps, to be illuminated. God shining his light on his word. And I'm going to tell you something. If you'll open it and you'll pray, God will illuminate his word. You say, I just don't understand that. Well, you can't read it one time and move on and think you've conquered the very person of the Son of God. You get it? Yeah, You get get what I'm saying? It's far above that. But he said, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. You see, we see a servant's background. He didn't come from Jerusalem. He didn't come from the hanging gardens of Babylon. He didn't come across the Nile from Alexandria and the great cities of the day. No, had he not come from Rome, he come from Nazareth, a ghetto town, literally, in Israel. It, it is still a ghetto. It really is. I've been there. It is one of the poorest areas. And I know, as Americans, we think all Jews sell diamonds and they're all rich. They're not. And Nazareth has always been viewed as a blue-collar, and can I put it in our, our terms, it's a blue-collar steel town. It, it, it was a place where, what was Jesus' father? A carpenter. It was a place where the working man lived around the Sea of Galilee. Who else lived around the Sea of Galilee? Fishermen. And fishermen was ranked about a half a step above a shepherd. And a shepherd was about three steps below the garbage man. They really were. Jesus come from the poor side of the tracks. Right? They didn't even have a house to live in when he got born. They were His mom and his father were not, they had not come together and gotten married. That's the whole virgin birth. And so they established their family there later. But it was time spent in Egypt as well on the run. It was a servant's background, a poor town, a blue collar. It was not about royalty. This book is about a servant. I'm going to tell you. I'm just going to take one quick little sidebar. This idea that if we will go to church, read our Bible sometime, and and use Bible language and look the part will make all of our problems go away, and that we will be well off, well blessed, well, listen, we're well favored, but it has nothing to do with your bank account. If it, listen, it does not take a a bunch of logic and understanding practicality that the guys closest to Jesus lost their lives for it. Does that sound like prosperity gospel to you? Prophets didn't line up for the job so that they could get that huge paycheck. You know what? Prophets met. In their life, when they stood and proclaimed Jesus, they were called liars, they were called traitors, and they lost their heads for it. Do you know Isaiah, you know how Isaiah died? They cut him in half. They literally sawed him in half. I mean, Saul and others that, that killed the prophets, that they went into the prophet's school and just wiped them out Wholesale. Because listen, people don't want to hear what God's got to say. My point is, stop thinking. Because some of us, we believe everything I just said, but the first time something happens, our question is, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Why I worked really hard on this paper and, and I made a C on it. What did I do wrong? I really, you know, why does the professor hate me? Why did my car break? Why did I not get that job? Why can I not seem to get ahead financially? It has absolutely nothing. If you're living for the Lord and you're trying to serve Him, we all sin and come short of the glory of God. But ultimately, as in with Job, and Edward and I was talking about this the other day, did Job suffer because of his in-depth sin? I mean, we all suffer for sin. Let's make that clear. But it's not always direct sin. It's just imputed sin. It's Adamic sin we suffer for. But it's not when we do right. So listen, understand, Jesus came, if anything, He came, was baptized into the suffering, and we'll see it in a minute, to suffer and die. And He never sinned, not the first time. and it came to pass but now we go deep and we look at the sovereign servant in his baptism Jesus' baptism was simply put identification it said and he was baptized of John in Jordan now John and other places he goes much more in depth but he just simply says and he was baptized of John in Jordan It was an identification. First of all, it was an identification with mankind. He was a man. He was relating and showing the world. Listen, this whole idea, there's a a school of thought called docetism where it says that God really was not in that flesh, that it was a a whole different splitting, but there was a duality here, and it was that he was 100% God, yet he was 100% man. It's called the hypostatic union, where he wasn't 50% God and 50% man, but as the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed all go back to, he is very God of very God, the Messiah, Christ. And we need to grasp that when he came, he came to fulfill the role as the last Adam. We'll see more fully that described here. You see, he was fulfilling his humanity. His reconciliation, ours, repentance. You see, when Jesus was baptized, he was not being baptized for salvation. Okay? He was being baptized for the purpose of reconciling us to the Father. Baptism for us, believers' baptism, is recognition of the reconciliation. I'm not trying to run circles, but we need to grasp. Do you understand in this text, four verses, I I, I laid there this morning about 1.32 o'clock thinking about this. I said, God, I, I don't know more in-depth Scripture just about in all the Bible. Here, you know, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given for, uh, is profitable for doctrine. In this, these four verses, we have the doctrine of the Father... Theology proper. We have the doctrine of the Son, Christology. We have the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Pneumatology. We have the doctrine of the Trinity. We have the doctrine of salvation, Soteriology. We've got five of the eight major doctrines throughout the Bible in these four verses. In just these four verses. Makes you wonder what all is there if we just read it. Now look. He was identifying with mankind. And in his baptism, his humanity coming into the water, fully immersed, his for reconciliation of mankind. When we're baptized into him, it is for our repentance. Remember what he said? Repent and be baptized. It is not water baptism that saves us. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Jesus' baptism was that identification with mankind, but also identification in and with the Trinity. First of all, blessed by the Father. L- listen to this. He said in verse 10, when he straightway come up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. A commentator wrote, No higher love is possible than the love which the Father cherishes toward His Son. In this text, the verbal adjective is agapitos, or beloved. It is that root, uh, goes to the root word agape, what we use as agape, that, that divine love feast that only can be manifested from God and through God. It is that love that the Father shows toward us. He showed toward His beloved Son. And here used, this love is as great as is the heart of God itself. It is also an intelligent and and purposeful as is the mind of God. It is tender, vast, and infinite. Think about this. Imagine, if you will, the love that the Father cried out for His Son is the love He has for us through Jesus. Huh? You are loved. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel very loved. Sometimes I don't feel very lovable. But it's not based on me. And get this, the Lord saved me when I was just shy of eight years old. There's never been a moment, there's never been a second where I fell out of God's love. I have been unlovable in the face of the world. But I've never gone anywhere that could escape God's love. Because the love the Father has for his son. This is the ministry of reconciliation. This is his recognition with the Trinity. You see, he was blessed by the Father. He said, in whom I am well pleased. I mean, you ever looked at your child and just, they did it because they wanted to, not because they had to? And you thought, man, I and I am well pleased right here. You know, you say, you need to cut the grass. And you go outside, you're like, where'd they go? You go outside, they cut the grass, weed it, cleaned up, cleaned the lawn more up, gassed it up, and put it back up where it belongs. You're like, and if that happened, by the way, it's a miracle. And you need to get on your face before God <laughs> and wonder what's happened. But sometimes, listen, but that's what Jesus did every time. Jesus never shortcut anything. He never come up with his own ideas. He never had a thought. He just plotted along from eternity back to eternity through his time here in doing the will of the Father. And his Father responded, you are my beloved Son, in whom... I am well pleased. And we need to understand, in the quiet recess of eternity, the Son was the object of the Father's inexhaustible delight. The former, the Son's reaffirmation by means of baptism, of His purpose to shed His blood for a world lost in sin, did nothing to diminish that love. That is what the Father is telling His Son. That is what he was telling John. That's what he's telling all of us. That's my son in whom I am well pleased because through him I can be accessed by a sinful world. Listen, our Christian worldview boiled down to three. I I don't want to oversimplify it, but boiled down to three prongs God made it. Man messed it up. And God's Son, Jesus Christ, came to redeem it. And there's no other way. No other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. God has never looked at anyone else but the Son or through the Son and said, I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. He was being identified with the Trinity and being blessed by the Father and being the beloved Son, but in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Understand, when God calls us to it, God empowers us for it, and God will strengthen us through it. And when Jesus came, listen, He came as God on earth, but He took on the robe of flesh, and therefore when that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit when he descended in the form of the dove and rested upon Jesus, it was a picture of God's anointing through the Holy Spirit on the work and the purpose of his Son. Jesus anointed by the Spirit. This is the most beautiful picture of the Trinity, God the Father. Hey, heaven, earth, look! It's my Son. You know how you feel when you flipping through the pages, and there's this little, there's a picture on the on the pa- in the paper, and somewhere in the back, you see a picture of your kid. And it, that's my child, and you're like, really? You can, you know, but that's my, and you cut it out, you get 17 copies, and you laminate them. You, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. God says that's okay because that's who I am. I love my son. And all of heaven opened up. I'm going to tell you something. Everything came to a screeching halt. He says heaven's opened up. And this thundering voice. And listen, this wasn't no quiet, still, small voice on this one. God's voice thundering upon all mankind. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Can I tell you, if you're born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, that's the words you'll hear through Jesus when you enter glory. And it's not going to be Peter checking your name at the gate. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, listen, and Jesus, look, and your name is written in that Lamb's book of life. I've got news for you. God's going to smile. Jesus said, I paid for them, and God's going to say, well done. Well done. This is my son. Heaven, greet my son. Greet my daughter. Welcome to heaven. Oh, what a day that will be. If you can't get excited about heaven then, life's going to be hell now. Heaven's for real. And I didn't need a movie to tell me that. I don't need anybody to claim, and I'm not trying to discount anything, but I don't need anybody to say they went to the other side and come back. My Bible's already told me there's a heaven. Hey, good for you if you went. Paul, I believe, did that. But I don't need that. God told me so. And that's good enough for me. And one day, One day the sun on this earth is going to rise for the last time on my life. It is on yours. There may be a day where you tie your shoestrings in the morning and the funeral director unties them that night. There's coming a day. Deal with it. Deal with it now or dread the day later. It's like the old Fram commercial. You know, you can... Pay the mechanic now or you can pay him later. Pay for an oil change now or pay for a motor later. Well, I going to tell you, today you can either allow Jesus to love you and pay the price or you'll pay the price later. And it'll be much, much worse. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit in his life. But then we see Jesus' baptism in recognition. He said, in this part, of being immersed in his suffering and in his death. Isaiah 53, 6 says, And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you think he was sprinkled with suffering? Does having a crown of thorns thrust upon your head and your beard plucked and a spear thrust and nails drove through your hands and your feet... And it says, and every drop of blood coming out of his body. And he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. Does that sound like somebody that got sprinkled with a little bit of it? Or was he immersed into the fullness of suffering? The Bible says the first thing he said on the cross was what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But at the second or third one, he says, I thirst. There were days where Jesus was hungry. There were days where he was lonely. Days that he was just overcome with crowds and he slipped off into the wilderness. Days where they tried to kill him. Days where they tried to stone him. Days where they yelled, with great vitriol, oh, you traitor! You heretical apostate claiming to be the Son of God. Have you ever been accused of something? And and you knew. It wasn't that you didn't think you did it, but you knew you were not guilty. Every day of Jesus' life, he faced that. Oh, he did this. He claims this. It was all true. It was true. He was immersed in suffering, but he was immersed in death. Even Jesus didn't breathe under the water. Now, if he wanted to, he could have as God, but as man, he could. One time so much, he just walked across the water. In his Godhood, am I right? Because the laws of nature are subject to God. But hear me now. I baptize a lot of people. And the most beautiful picture of baptism, when we are letting the world know in recognition outwardly of what happened inwardly, we are showing, as Jesus did, a recognition of what happened. When Jesus walked down in being anointed unto this ministry that he must suffer and carry the sins of the world he was baptized into this suffering and immersed in a foreshadowing of his death when they put him in the tomb what did they do? what's the next step they did? they put him in the tomb anointed him and then did what? they rolled the stone and sealed it did they leave a foot hanging out? They leave his head hanging out where somebody could come and rub on it for luck. They leave an arm or a finger. Did they take somebody body part and sit it out somewhere? No, they put him all in because he was all in. Hear me now. This is important. This is our doctrine. This is why we believe in two ordinances. Get this. You, you, we throw out words like sacrament and write, R-I-T-E, we don't believe in sacraments. We don't. don't we, I, you say, oh, that's you know, semantics. No, it's not. Because sacraments gives the idea of conveying grace. It goes all the way back to the Council of Trent in 1400 and something. I'm telling you, we have ordinances. Ours is about symbolism and remembrance. What does the front of that table say? Do we, Does it say... In reconciliation through his death, we are taking his body and his blood so that we can be saved. Does it say that? It says in remembrance, looking back at what Jesus did. When we're baptized, we are recognized with the body of Christ that he he died, was buried. When Jesus went under the water, he didn't breathe. Neither does anybody. The most beautiful picture. When I say the words... In obedience to the great command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, upon your profession, faith in him, my brother, I now baptize you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, womb, and down we go. Somehow, I had one 10-year-old scared to death of the water, and as I went down with him, his feet come up, he began to just kind of float right there, and he was fighting with everything. I mean, it was like trying to get a 10-pound bass in the boat. I mean, he's just flopping and everything else. And finally, I just reached up and got me the biggest handful of back of his baptismal robe. And I just snatched him down because I wasn't going to let no 10-year-old whoop me. (laughs) If I could just get that water to meet right over the cover of that nose. Because I believe that much in the fact that Jesus paid it all. That's the importance of it. Jesus didn't die and suffer and was buried for three days and resurrect so we could think somehow we could eat a wafer and take a glass of wine and get put under some water and get Jesus. It is in recognition of what He's done for us that we are immersed into that pool of, Bab- uh, 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 the baptistry pool and we're brought back in recognition of the newness of life. listen, It was a foreshadowing. But then we see it was an immersion into resurrection. Now I love this. Get this. He was being immersed into his resurrection because not only would he suffer, not only would he die, not only would he be buried, but what sealed the deal. Listen, if you're a Christian, I've often said this, and and I really believe this. If you hang a cross around your neck, wonderful. I'm not not throwing off on it. But honestly, that is the vicariousness of Jesus. But the ultimate victory is the empty tomb. A lot of people died on crosses. Only one died without sin, grant you. But many died on crosses. But even the greatest of Christians who died on a cross such as Peter and others, Did not resurrect except in that day through Jesus. You see, he was immersed in the resurrection. His baptism was looking forward to what he was about to do. Now get this. Our baptism is looking back at what Jesus did. Now this is what's really good. Why would Jesus do that? Because he had no sin. So baptism had no effect on Him because of sin. Neither does it on us. Jesus looking back, or looking forward to His baptism into death, was recognized in humanity, the sovereign servant being thrust into those waters and coming out, and the Father blessing Him, and the Spirit ministering and anointing Him. Today, when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're baptized in believer's baptism, His, sin, his life, His sinless death, burial, and resurrection is what saves us. And in His baptism in that it could not wash away sins, for He had none. It cannot wash away our sins except through Jesus. It's not water. It's the blood. Our sins only washed away by His blood. Now I want you to notice real quickly the battle for the, in the wilderness. The battle in the wilderness. As we've seen the baptism of Jesus... We see immediately. You ever just say, Lord, I just need to catch my breath? And he says, not today. You have a great Sunday. I mean, God blesses and God moves in your life. God speaks to your heart. You, you get something out of the message. You hear a song that just quickens your spirit, wonderful praise, Worthy songs this morning. You come on Sunday night and you experience uh, the presence of the Lord and and encourage you to experience God. And Monday morning, the trials of life slaps you right in the face. You're like, God, can I even have at least till lunch? The Bible tells us right here, immediately, immediately because of the commission. Jesus didn't have time to waste. He had an appointed time. That was coming immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted of Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him 40 days do you know there's only been and he doesn't record fasting in this text in the other Gospels a couple others it does there's only been three people that ever participate in the supernatural fast. Most fasts like the fast before the Day of Atonement uh, and others, there's, there's a 24-hour fast, basically 25, a full day of fasting. That doesn't mean that you give up fortnight for 24 hours uh, or social media. That's No, that's not in the Bible. You, you can try to super-spiritualize it all you want. It literally means to go without food. That's what fasting is. I did my doctoral dissertation on this. Believe me, I spent two years studying this thing in depth. My, my advisor said I was supposed to be the professional on this. So I'm going to tell you what I've learned. One thing I learned is if you really want to fast and see the presence of God and deliverance for our life, then you give up food. Well, there was a 24 hour period that they would fast. Then we see partial fast. Well, we see multi-day fast. Esther told Mordecai, said, Proclaim a three-day fast. We see Samuel, and we see uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael fast in a partial fast where they gave up all the dainties of this world, uh, all the, the rich things of this world, and they ate just basically bean soup and drank water. Partial fast. But three participate in a supernatural fast. They didn't eat or drink. Now this is not possible for any of us. So go on and forget it. If you want to be super spiritual, I'm telling you, can't happen. The three was Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And all three of those had very significant purposes that God needed their undivided attention. You won't you, you want to give God your undivided attention, skip Dairy Queen. John Piper said, our, our enemy's apple pie. If we want a real hunger for God, we've got to be willing to give up the temporal for the eternal. We need to give up that which satisfies the flesh to get that which satisfies the spirit. And get this, eating is not sinful. Fasting is not giving up sin It's giving up that which you would regularly need for the fulfillment of God. And so for 40 days, he battled in the wilderness. 40 days. Think about it. His spirit, he was spirit-strengthened, the spirit's anointing on his life to get through. I'm going to tell you, you can't get through a 24-hour fast without the spirit of God speaking to your heart. And by the way, I would encourage you to do it. God's Word doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. And and understand something else. You can uh, can pray without fasting, but you can't fast without praying. The ultimate reason of fasting is to drive you to your knees. And the first couple hours, you're going to be like, Dude, man, I'm feeling spiritual already. I'm on a roll. I hadn't told anybody. I hadn't bragged. Not trying to be pompous, but... God, I I may be a little more spiritually mature than I thought. And then comes Milky Way time. Then comes that time when you're used to having your Diet Mountain Dew. Then comes that time when you're ready for your Pepsi Cola and you'll pack a peanut butter cheese crackers. And you reach for them, and then the Spirit says, Thought you was fasting. Oh, yeah, I'm good. And you're like, Wow, I'm doing all right. I bet there's been, it's like sitting in a deer stand. There's probably been two or three more hours. It's been like 12 minutes. But somewhere during the day, it begins to click, and you stop. Listen, first thing, first several hours, you're going to pray, God, help me not eat. Give me strength. But I'm going to tell you what happens. The longer you go in that fast, here's what happens with your prayer life. You'll begin to start praying for other people. You, you'll, you'll be so focused that you'll stop praying all about food. You'll pray about self. Uh, uh, that the God would change your heart. And God will start bringing up names. And you'll start crying out, God help me forgive them. God help them to forgive me. You'll start praying for people's salvation. You'll pray for your church, your community. I'm going to tell you something. Prayer meeting will break out in your life. When you truly seek God. That's what happened with Jesus. Crying out before His Father. Forty days, the Spirit strengthened Him. Satanic temptations. Mark doesn't go into the depth. He just simply wants us to know the servant had to suffer. He had to go through these temptations. We know that He as a man, the last Adam, suffered the same temptations Adam did. Yet Adam failed. Jesus didn't. Pride of life. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. Oh, look at that stone! Turn it into bread. Well, Jesus could do that. No big deal. He took five loaves and two fish, and what? He, how many did he feed? Kids? How many? How many? Five. You're loud. Like, five thousand. Five thousand. Now I've seen some pretty big fish. I ain't never seen a couple of fish to feed five thousand. Oh, by the way, how many baskets were left? Twelve. Baskets full. I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus does it, he does it big. All right? If we are not seeing a big God, then we've got to wonder what's the problem. Because God does it big. Listen, satanic temptations were conquered. He was subject to the elements. It says that he was out there with a wild beast. He didn't have a cottage. He didn't have a summer home. He was not out there in his wilderness camp. He didn't have turned down service. And nobody was bringing him his coffee in bed. Forty days and forty nights, Jesus was out there among the wild beasts under the starry sky. And whatever the day's weather brought forth, he endured it. And He did it for you and me. Subjected to the elements and then supplied by the angels. Listen, Adam failed. Jesus didn't. Though victory, sweet victory because of this time. Jesus' baptism. Jesus' battle. And in conclusion and review, Think about it. He said, in whom I am well pleased. In the quiet recess of eternity, the Son was the object of the Father's inexhaustible delight. The former's reaffirmation by means of baptism, of His purpose to shed His blood for a world lost in sin, did not diminish His love. How filled with comfort is this paragraph? Comfort not only for the Son and for John, but for every child of God. Think about it. His recognition with mankind. His recognition with the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. For it indicates that not only the Son loves His followers enough to suffer the pangs of hell in their stead, but that also the Spirit fully cooperates by strengthening Him for this very task. And that the Father, instead of frowning upon the one who undertakes it, is so very pleased with Him that He must needs rend asunder the very heavens that His voice of delightful approval may be heard on earth. All three are equally interested in our salvation. And the three are one. Church, as they come to the instruments, why not come to Jesus? John the Baptist was out there baptizing, not for the remission of sin, because he couldn't do it, but to point to Jesus And say, if you've repented and trust God. He couldn't fully, he said, there's a Messiah coming. And then Jesus came. And Jesus came not to be baptized for his sin, but because of ours. He identified with fallen man, for he took on him the iniquity of us all. He recognized himself in the needs that he must go to Calvary and die. Suffer and be immersed in death. Buried in that tomb. So that we who are to be born must be born again. And when we understand our need that we cannot by any good we have be saved. That baptism can't save us. Then we'll understand it was because of Jesus. It is because of Jesus That baptism of Jesus showed us what he was going to do. Now we look back at it. We see the fulfillment all the way across the board. We are fallen mankind. He is the risen Savior. Today you need to cry cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, I need it. I need you. I need you to come into my life. I need you to wash me white as snow. Dying to the flesh that I may live in Christ. Be baptized in His death. Be baptized in His suffering and resurrection today. By coming and claiming what He's done for you. And then follow in believer's baptism. If you're lost, He's your only hope. May we all leave here today. If you need to come and be baptized, let the world know I have inwardly been saved. And I want to outwardly proclaim it. I need to join this church that I may serve Him with gladness. If you want to leave here and hear in your spirit, driving home over the radio, at home over the TV, hear God speak, my beloved Son, I love you. And I'm well pleased. Why not come to Jesus today? Will you come to Jesus? Come. Stand and come. Come now.